Welcome to the Indie Marketers Podcast. My name is Mike McFarlane. This is episode 11. Continuing on in those double digits. And today we have a banger of an episode. We have Scott Stratton. Scott motherfucking Stratton came on the Indie Marketers podcast and we had a time. I, I, I to be, be very transparent. And that's something I really appreciated about Scott in the interview, which you guys were here. Um, to be very transparent, every time I do an episode where I have a guest, I will send them a list of topics, not necessarily questions, but just things to cover just so that nothing feels like it's coming out of left field. I think maybe Scott and I talked on like maybe two of those things. And that is the beauty of conversations like this is when they flow naturally, they feel authentic and they feel real. And this was a very real conversation. And if I'm just going to stop rambling, we'll wait to, we'll do some rambling at the end. We got some shit to talk about this week. So we'll do some rambling at the end, but in the meantime, let's get back to, or let's start off the interview with Scott Stratton. Here we go. I am honored to have keynote speaker, author, creator of un, un multiple things. We'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that today. Scott Stratton, how's it going, man? It's been a long time, man. Uh, I know we were just talking before we started, but it's just like, it's been a long time. You know, we connected over well over a decade ago. So I was going to say the we connected on, I remember definitely, I can remember your profile pit, picture on Twitter, like vividly for some reason. And <laughs> well, which the which one was it? The you were kind looking of looking to the side, blue, blue steel kind of side look. No, kind you of were thing. Kind of looking up, like looking up the goatee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it was pretty epic. Yeah, I remember. And we, I I think, because Twitter was still pretty nascent at that point, it was. It felt pretty easy to interact with people in some way. And I I remember thinking that's really cool because I've always really respected the work that you've done and and all of that. But the thing that sold it for me was, and you may not remember this. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier as well. I was at a Raptors game. This was Mm -hmm. like 2008, 2009. And I think yeah. you were asked to go on the court because you were at that game. Yeah. And do like a, a like a between the plays like dance, yeah, or dance or something like that. And yeah. I'm sitting there with my wife. I'm like, holy shit, that's Scott Stratton. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Scott, was that just you on the court at the Raptors game? And you're just like, yeah, man, that's crazy. It just it, it, like I just remember thinking at that point, okay, this Twitter thing is really cool. People that I would never have really had an opportunity to interact with are people that I would never imagine I could interact with. Yeah. All of a sudden I have this opportunity to. So, hey, thank you for interacting with me for (laughs) 10, 12 years ago, but also for coming onto the podcast today. Really, really, really appreciate it. So you're behind the curtain for that uh, Raptors game. And uh, I do have behind me, I do have the replica Raptors championship ring um, because my soul is now full. Yeah. Uh, but uh, with just had to get that out there for anybody else listening who might be a fan of teams I don't want to like at all. Um, was so it was pregame, and okay. um, we we tried to go every year with the kids, and uh, Allison and I combined have five of them, so it's like you also, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of tickets at once, but we try to go, we go to a Jays game and then a Raptors game once a year, and 
it's always fun. And so, of course, me being me, there was like the pre-game kind of just music in the arena and stuff. And sure. I'm just dancing my seat because I just dance anywhere I can. Sure. And um, the kids have, you know, kids don't even get embarrassed by this point by me dancing around them. Like the trick with Scott was don't let it know. Don't let them know this embarrasses you. <laughs> and then so they're they're all now immune to it. And then I'm just dancing on my seat to something, whatever, whatever the song is. And one of the people working in the rep for the Raptors came up and said, hey, uh, would you like to do a kind of a, 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 a dance off thing we do? And I'm like, yep. And the kids are like, please don't. And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And they're like, great, we'll come get you at a certain time of this. And I'm like, awesome. And I'm wearing my it was my I think I was wearing my Raptors Christmas sweater, like the ugly Raptors Christmas sweater. And it was perfect. And I got out there and there's three of us competing. And of course, there's just one ringer in there and I'm not the ringer. And they're like, all right, you're going to play a song and you just got to dance and the crowd will judge it. I'm like, just give me a good song. And they put on Maroon 5 moves like Jagger. And I'm just like, I can't do that. <laughs> and I did something and it was lame, but whatever. And then the one person, one guy did like the freaking worm and everything. And I'm just like, you win, sir. I'm yes. sorry. You, you and uh, and I went back to the kids, and then I saw your tweet. He's like, "Was that you on the floor?" I'm like, what's up? And, and, <laughs> but that, you know, honestly, that was one of the. And I I know we all sound like the old man on the porch in the rocking chair, you know, screaming at TikTok to get off his lawn. But back then, it was one of the it was one of the things that really made the the it drove home the point about what social media was for me and for a lot of us back then, mm -hmm. which was connection that I had found that, um, being an entrepreneur, it's very isolated. And, right. um, and, and I know, and I know we can go to chamber of commerce events or something, and I know we can have different group and I, yes, a hundred percent, but there's something about that almost, a, almost like just day to day, just the day to day, almost mundane type of stuff or conversations that you, you also lose. And this, you know, back in 08, 09, before, you know, we, this work from home thing was even a, a concept. It was just like, look, we don't have the water cooler. Yeah. We don't have the thing where you just kind of have this serendipity type of thing. And, uh, and then I went to Twitter and I joined in, um, January 08, I believe. No, no, sorry. Uh, April 08. And then January, 2009, I decided to give it my all. I just brushed it off. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm marketing guy. I'm like, I, what, I don't, I don't want to know what somebody has for breakfast. You know, that guy. And I said, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to live on it for 30 days. And I don't want to be that marketing kind of consultant quote, air quote expert without, you know, kind of exhausting a platform and understanding it. Cause I think that's one of the biggest things we can, we make in, in business, especially when we're the solo person, like in a consulting role or building our own company, because then what we sure. say goes right. We get paid for what we say. And yep. if I say don't use Twitter because I don't like it, well, I'm doing my obviously my clients a disservice. I want to understand the ecosystem of it. I want to understand how things trend, how things track, everything else. And I went on there and I had 1,200 followers just out of inertia, you know, because it was so early, you know, South sure. by blew up and everything else. And I lived on it and I tweeted 7,000 times in that month. And I went from 1,200 followers to 10,000. And I, and I, and I still haven't logged off. And it was something, and people hear that, they're just like, oh my God, that's so many tweets. And I, I break it down. I'm like, well, first of all, you know, how many times do you text? Because that's what it was from, right? 140 yeah. characters. Yep. But then I said, what you don't see about those 7,000 tweets is 85% of those tweets were replies. Those were conversations. 
those were going back and forth all day. And I'm like, how many times will you go back and forth on a conversation? Obviously, you can go back and forth a hundred times in 15 minutes with each other, right? You can just keep talking. And it felt like cheers. I know I'm dating myself here, but it felt like cheers. You'd walk into the bar and everybody'd be like, Norm, and you'd walk in. And that's what Twitter felt like in, in Absolutely. especially in, in right in 09, especially like 09, 2010. It was this feeling of community without the barriers around it right it wasn't like the community in this group or this group it's just like it was the twitter community and it was just this cool thing that you just i would hop on there and i would just i would come on at like eight o'clock and i was a single dad at the time and i put um uh on the bed and then i would come on there and i'd be dj twitterlicious and i'd be sending out blip fm links to like uh, Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, you know, Joy wow. and Pain or It Takes Two. I'll take either of those songs and just playing it. And it was just this kind of thing where we all, especially it was like parents too. I found this like group of parents. It was mostly moms that were also on there at night, put kids down and we just would talk and connect. And I still am connected with those people today, including my freaking wife, you know, Allison, who I found because of Twitter. <laughs> And that was part of that group. And it was this, it was such a, I know you've opened the floodgates here for me. No, but it go was, for it. Oh, keep going. It was such a, and the problem is, and I think this is true for life overall, is we kind of get stuck on that time period. We get stuck on that period of 09 to maybe, let's say, I don't know, 2012, maybe, really before celebrities really took it over. Yeah. You know, I, I always said I was like number number one in Canada, number three in North America until Bieber showed up and then screwed air. It was, and it was actually Ashton Kutcher, but Bieber sounds funnier. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? So it, was, yeah. it really felt like it was a user-driven platform. Very much versus so. Versus celebrity-driven or news-driven. It was user-driven. And it was, I read a tweet, it was earlier, um, it was today, I think it was, I think it was Soledad, Soledad O'Brien. She put out um, one that was a great quote from somebody. And it was just, eventually Twitter became just the place for everybody. And you brought the best minds to it, the best opinions, the best organizers, like so much. And now that, I think that's one of the sad parts about it now, it's just like, where will this happen again? That's a really good question because like I much like you, like in the early days of Twitter, like that you had that sense of community. And I, like for me, I, I got on Twitter primarily because of my work at Eloqua yeah. and just especially the idea of being in marketing operations and thinking like, oh, we can share Steve Woods's chapter three from digital body <laughs> language on Twitter instead of just an email. That's yeah. pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but that allowed me to start like being known as like the Eloqua guy on Twitter. And so I started talking to other Eloqua users and other people and people would reach out to me yeah. with like support requests. I'm just like, I'm not in support, but I can redirect you to something to support and stuff like that. But it was a really interesting time that everyone felt accessible. Yeah, I think it was because the types of people that were on at that time wanted that exactly. accessibility and Ex wanted that connection Bingo. Bingo. versus now uh, I would love your opinion on it now, especially after post uh, Elon Musk takeover. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel like that anymore. It no. kind of just feels like a wall of text that if you don't see it in 30 seconds, it's gone. Yeah. It's and it's just not as it's not as engaging as it used to be. Yeah. And it's Allison brings up a great point about this uh, years ago before the Elon and before all this type of stuff was because I had kind of started migrating away from Twitter in probably about 2015, 2016. And because one of the things that I do is we, we call it platforming, but it's, it's simply just, just really, really focused effort and presence on a platform. And 
you know, like from Twitter was 09 was, I did it. Then I did it on Facebook and they did it on Instagram. And then, so now for me, it's LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And because I don't, I'm not, I can't, I'm five places at once with full focus is that's an oxy. Like you're contradicting yourself with that, right? You just, you can't, it's so much. And you look at it and just, you step back for one second. You just kind of say sometimes is why am I on here? And that's what every platform never wants their user to ask. It's that relevancy hook, which is, that's why the newsfeed is not totally, um, uh, uh, you know, recency driven. It's not by, it's not chronological. It's, it's relevancy driven. And I had this debate. I swear, I swear, man, I had this debate with people with every platform that changes their news feed, which happened with Twitter, which happened with Facebook, and what no, not called news feed, whatever the feed is, just your feed, the wall, your or main, whatever, the yeah. wall, whatever you log in and look at it yeah. makes every single one, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Now, TikTok, Snapchat, MySpace, like pick it. They've all shifted to relevancy versus just recency. And everybody loses their mind when it happens. And yet the numbers all prove that you stay longer, you do it longer. And some of the stuff is pretty terrifying to when you realize you drill down of how much they can understand about the human brain. But I look at all these things. And just like Twitter today is everything can serve a purpose. And everything can create your community, but when it shifts, you want to decide where it goes. And and with Twitter, I you know, I don't even go. Like I I'll, I'll hop on because like an idiot, I put in a book, send me a tweet at on marketing for fourteen years ago, and you know once in a while somebody will, and you're just like, <laughs> what's up? I'm still checking, you know. But it's like you know, once the once the book's printed, that's that's one of the problems about writing about stuff that's also tech driven. Is it's 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 almost obsolete when some of the references. Like a, pr- a friend of mine, uh, Justin Levy, uh, who's great, who's great, uh, one of my favorite people, and he uh, he wrote a book on. I was like Facebook or Facebook for Dummies or something way back in the day. And the day it came out, they changed the entire interface. So every screenshot he had was a different interface, and I'm just like, and his his reply was, "Well, I guess it's time for a uh, revision." Yeah. The, the next edition, and I'm like, "Yeah, boy." Next edition. <laughs> but I really, I it makes it makes me sad. Because and not about what was for us, it was what Twitter had turned into for me in the late, you know, in 2017, 2018, 2019, where it turned into a, really um, a drive of, 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 of good that I saw. What it was, you know, um, groups that, that needed a voice. It's people rallying around a cause. It's those mm-hmm. that was a really strong tool for grassroots movements. It became a place where everybody kind of would, ha- would, would at least be able to get on Twitter almost and almost any age. If you think about it, like, you know, Snapchat's got a very, it's got a, not only a learning curve to it, even though you think it's very simple, it also has a curve of how the hell do I even get anything anywhere to anybody because there's no main page, right? It's just right. your snaps of who you follow and those type of things. TikTok, same thing. Twitter so quick 140 and then 280 characters and how it changed but it's just like you can just boom 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 and you can all connect and check and through hashtags it turned into a really good system for a lot of stuff and and community causes are huge to us and we always want to look at stuff by you know having that self-awareness was okay what did I use it for but what is it being used for and who is it helping and who is it hurting and that's what that's how I look at privacy things that's how I look at you know, big changes or say sales of things or like TikTok and the, the hearing that just happened. And people are like, well, what do you think is going to happen? It's like, not, nothing's going to happen. They'll spin it off. They'll sell it. It's all money. 
Yeah. It's just all money and they'll spin it off and sell it and Zuckerberg will buy it. And it's like, what? because that's how this stuff works. It's just money and it's threats and it's private. People get mad at privacy and they're like, well, because this is, they're taking our, I'm like, they, everybody has your info. <laughs> <laughs> every place has your what are you talking yeah, what are you pro- talking about like if you've you, logged on to a computer i'm sorry you're like you're known do you understand how much information i'm willing to give up and have given up just to get over the border faster to do a gig yeah. somewhere like i have pre-check global entry i have uh clear i have like i have every and if they said one more thing and they would like like give me a piggyback or something through the line i would give up every dna strand i have like it's just we're at this point now where you know some people are like well you you shouldn't use that because they have your information i'm like have you looked at any terms of service at anything you've ever signed up forever like i swear to god canva gets my next child i think like it's like every single place it's like we don't we agree to these things they make them you know on purposely you know overbearing and all these type of stuff and i'm just like you're are you just picking your spots or are you being like you know maybe racist a bit because it's china like what are you what are we doing yeah. here, right you, you're no problem giving your location out while you're live streaming somewhere to the world but you don't want somebody to have a data dump of a few trillion petabytes of something and i'm just like yeah. y'all are making me lose my mind here I'm, and, and again at the end of the day though this is of such a long-winded rant and i'm sorry no um, but when it comes to personal and professional i really always had a rule with and, and it usually kind of bled over, which was, look, and personally, if my potential market's there, I do want to consider it. Yep. But that's only half the equation. The other half is, is this in my wheelhouse to do? Whether it's time that I have or my skill set or my preferences. We all have different skill sets and we all have something that it's like if somebody came to me and said, how do I become this, you know, this personal brand? How do I come up with this thought leader to, to use a, a, a term that makes us all kind of cringe a bit, Thank you. but it's true that, that <laughs> but, that, but, but, the, but there's, there's hard to get a tar- expert. You know what I mean? Like yes. I want to be positioned yeah, in yeah. a world so I can get consulting gigs, book deals, what I do. Right. And that, that world. And it's this, if passion is no part of that checklist, I, I just think we're doing life wrong. I, I just think that because I think passion drives curiosity. And I think that that curiosity is crucial, especially in marketing. Because for two reasons, one, we can get bogged down with the data and the spreadsheets, mm-hmm. which are very important. I, I understand that. Look, I, I love conversions and split testing and that's what I used to do. But it takes away sometimes from the fact that all the new things that happen, what happens is we master things. So we master, uh, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to contradict if your clients or your, you know, HubSpot or like Marketo, sure. any of the, any of the suite, pick the suite. Yeah. And I master it. Okay. I go, I get my, my certifications and I put them on my LinkedIn profile and I've got it all going now. And a new thing comes out, um, at like 11 o'clock this morning, because that's how fast this stuff goes now. And we have this reaction as an individual, which is in your head, you're like, for the love of all that's holy, I just learned this stuff and now I'm getting there and now I'm mastering it. And now this new thing, no, that's just hype. That's just, instead of looking at it and saying, okay, does this have an impact? Because when you're consulting, you're literally paid for your interpretation of something. You're paid for your brain, right? Your opinion. 
and the disservice we do. And I've seen it. It's like going down with the ship type of stuff where I still, I still like, I don't think any marketing is dead. Any picket, carrier pigeon, a sign being pulled by an airplane in the sky with a QR code on it. (laughs) So I said, you're OG, you're OG, you know, all the points and triggers. It's my favorite pictures ever. And it's this, and and me doing the, on the stage is running down the beach, trying to, you know, get a, get a shot of a QR code, but like, you know, billboards, direct mail, they all was spam. Like it all can work and please don't do it. But it's like, if you have said, and this is for everybody listening right now, including myself, if you have said in recent memory that this marketing tool is dead to somebody on your team or who you're consulting for or just people in the industry, you've got to stop and think about what you've just said. Absolutely. Thank you. Because, right? Because there's motive. There's look, and I come from the worst type of person like that, which was the social media speakers of 2010, 2011 which was like, y'all need to be on Twitter. Y'all need to be here and y'all need to be here and screw everything else. And that was never the case because the problem is then we all, then the whole industry, we sold social as being the new thing when, when it's never changed. Direct selling through social media is really hard and it sucks. It's low conversions. We can get into all the numbers of how it's, you know, the, the newsfeed X percent goes into X percent, then read it, then click, then do this. But all you got to do is look at Facebook's analytics to show you exactly how futile it is to have a classical marketing move on social media where it's like i use this example in some some of my marketing talks the the video i had of the millennial rant i had on stage which don't nobody please don't come at me it's all it's all love for millennials and everybody else it's just ripping on us old folk and it was like it was 35 million people reached but it was 12 million views but it was actually 4 million views over 10 seconds. So, right. It's like this, this whole cascading thing of like, you're telling me Facebook, well, yeah, this is the reach. No, all reaches and social media. It's the great reach around. That's all it is. It's us yeah. congratulating each other saying, look what we've done. You've done nothing. It's a banner impression. You remember banner impressions? You remember how useless Absolutely. those were? And when people sold on them and people were like, <laughs> we'll give you a million impressions. People are like, Oh my God. Yes. Like, <laughs> Right. And it's just like, it just flashes on a screen. And there's your impression. Like I, it's like link exchange back in the day. And we don't look at it by saying at the root cause of what we're doing for marketing. So it's not about the conversion. It's not about the spreadsheets and the data is what is this goal here? And does this new tool help us achieve this goal either more efficiently or more effectively? The fact that you said that a makes my heart really warm. Cause I recently, probably about a month ago, got not in an argument because I'm not an argumentative type of person on Twitter. <laughs> We're Canadian. We don't, well, I don't know if that, that's I'm, I, I'm, I try to break the stereotype. Okay. I, I, well, I am on this earth to break that stereotype. Yes. I try, I, I'm much like you, uh, being a, a practitioner of different tools and being a consultant. My idea is like, I want to be a master of all and a master of none. And there's no one tool that I will ever just say every customer of mine needs to use because I don't know nice. what their needs are, what, their budget is. You don't know all those things. I got into Uh this argument with someone who basically said, what's the best CRM and why is it HubSpot? And I'm just like, well, that's, that's cool. (laughs) Um, But Salesforce is still pretty cool. And then the person called me dad because it was like an old school take for not just like I I use HubSpot to run my business. Okay. Boomer. Okay. Boomer. Okay. Boomer. 
I'm 41 fucking years old. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's, I heard that line. It's like, oh, you were born in the 1900s. You're like, mother, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I will break you down and, and slowly because my hip hurts, but I will. I will <laughs> but it's just, it's, I think, again, kind of going back to your point around, especially being a consultant, I don't do my customers any service by having a bias. Like I want to make right. sure, like maybe I have, maybe I do have biases. Maybe I do, but it's, I don't want my biases to necessarily reflect what's the best option for my customer. Yeah. And well, that's where have, it, I agree with the biases though. See that. And that's the thing is understanding that the, the person you got to be scared of is, is the person that doesn't think they have any. Right. Yeah. And that's what the, and here, so here's, and here's the interesting thing that, that, you know, I'd, I'd love your, your side on too. So sure. you've got this world of, of your world. Okay. So yeah. you have like a, a, the consulting side of stuff and whether it's, you know, you're servicing, whether it's small to medium businesses and doing a lot of their tech, or it's like, um, you're more of a, uh, the middle or reseller and you it solutions on uh, that whole world. Sure. Is when you, when you, I speak at events that bring in people in your world or in the, in, and we just, it's the middle layer. A yeah. lot of the times, right? Yep, here's the yep. solutions. Here's the client, and I'm going to tell you what to because there's there's 20 million things to choose from. Sure. Just looking at a marketing roadmap, a digital marketing roadmap today versus five years ago, there's 17,000 oh, programs, and that's just not not including everything you can you can zapier into everything else you have. You know what I mean? Like there's so so many. These events are people like you in the audience. They're whether they're resellers, consultants, vendors, whatever or, or um, whatever it is. They get incentivized for it of course they do and i'm at these trips and so you qualify for the trip if you refer enough business and here's the rub and this is where the ethics come in of being consultant because ethics aren't a renewable aren't a renewable resource once you compromise it with a client right you're it's gone and if salesforce is offering you x amount for a referral and hubspot is at, at, you know giving you amount for referral Right. This is where the gray area kicks in because I asked somebody at one of these events, giant event, and and I and they were, he said, like, are you staying the next couple of days? And I'm like, Oh, heavens no. No, no, no. I'll be, I'm, <laughs> I'm heading out. Thank yeah. you. And it was in Vegas. So it was a it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in Oakville here in my town. You know, it's just like, yeah, no, I'm heading out. And he's like, That's too bad, because I thought you you say for the entertainment wednesday and i'm thinking it's yeah just the vegas cover band or whatever and, and he's not it's elton john and i'm like you're going to an elton john concert he's like no 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 he's playing a show a private show for us and i'm like what what did that cost you and he's like uh one three and i'm like 1.3 million he's like yeah 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 but we talked him down it was one four and I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking there, you talked me down. I'm certainly not one three for an event or one four. And I said, what is the ROI of that? Yeah. Of Elton John, of the year before, Van Halen, Metallica. He's all, they've all spoken at Salesforce. I was like oh, yeah. inbound, like I pick, pick it. They've all spoken at these or, or played at these things, just giant things. And I said, what is the ROI on that? And he's like, oh, the, there isn't one. Our competition three weeks ago had an event and they had Van Halen. So they all want to, if they, if we're not putting out the entertainment, they stop selling our stuff because our stuff is so much like everybody else's. And I'm like that, that's it. 
That's where it is right there. <laughs> right. Is understanding this kind of homogenous kind of world. It's like, do y'all just do the same crap? Like what is the big differentiator here? And it was more focusing on not how we can help our partners' businesses necessarily. It was all, how do we retain partner share Yeah, through, you know, Vegas, this doing this. And like, that's half my business, man, speaking of these type of things. And, but you're just like, I just hope all we're still making because the best decision isn't because the brand is bringing in Halen. The best decision is this for my customer exactly. this is what they need. And it's a, it's, it's tough because this is a, it's also a world of perceived kickbacks, right? It's perce- right. And, and that's, that's where like, I, so I've really struck, like I've, I've, I work with Eloqua, Marketo, HubSpot, Salesforce, Pardot, and I've been reached out to by almost yeah. all of them to join yeah. their partner program. Yeah. Um, and I'm reluctant. Yeah. Because it like, is there financial benefit for me doing it? Yeah. Absolutely. But it goes against kind of what my ethos is in terms of not even selling in terms of recommending or working with my customers, like if I would rather because have do you, that. Do you disclose that, right? Here's the problem Absolutely. is do you just, that's what we get into ethics here, which is like, if it is, if you're, if you're, because look, I, I don't have a problem with partner programs. Obviously I make a living of going to events for, for these type of things. I don't have an issue with signing up for preferred partner type of things. If I ran those companies, I'm, I am pushing that every day and twice on Sundays. Absolutely. I want these people to be my preferred partner because I'm going to get them on my side. None of that is unethical. None of that is to me is, is a compromise of anything. It's when, because also there's some people who are like, you know what? Marketo is the best thing I've done. I've tried them all. And it's just because of this factor, this factor, and this factor. And I'm just like, beautiful, go run with it. Be exclusive yeah. because those sure. things start running into problems too. When they start, Hey, you know, you're kind of recommending another one because the partner agreements can have this in it. Absolutely. which is you're not a preferred partner for them or them. And by the way, anybody listening right now, if you're going to go into this world, if somebody asks for exclusivity, you better be getting paid. Oh, uh, that's, all, that's all I got to say is you better not be taking that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll be exclusive. And there's no difference from being exclusive, just being a person off the street and, and recommending something they will take or ask or take everything and anything. If you don't, you know, put that boundary up. So be very careful with that first off. Yep. But as, as you and I are both kind of alluding to here, it's when the decision is driven by the, by the compensation of yours versus the success of your client. I would much rather join a partner program knowing that it, I could use it to help benefit my current customers. Yeah. If there was a way that said like, hey, you, you have customer ABC that's on Pardot today. If you get that, if you can help them renew because it's the right thing for them, or if they come to me and say, Hey, we want to renew with Pardot. Is there anything you can do as a partner of Pardot to help potentially get us a better deal or something like that? Yeah. I want to help them do that. Like that's like, yeah, but I, and then you should get the VIG, right? You should still get the VIG on that. You're making the deal happen. Sure. Like I, 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 I totally, I'm totally, but also if the person, let's say as example, went with, let's say, a, you know, Marketo, whatever it is. And like, sure. then you become, that's your sole one because you really believe in it perfect like chef's kiss like perfect do that the only thing i ask of people who do that is be able to stay on top of the other uh, services still to be able to understand because closing your ears down closing your eyes down and saying look this is what i'm gonna focus on i'm gonna focus on being the best hubspot person there is or partner there is is great okay but 
how do you know if one of those other programs did not actually become better in the past six months, the past year, because of these new changes, because of these new plugins? What what is what are they doing when it comes to Chat GPT now and AI and stuff? Are they doing anything? Are they going away? Okay, then always I would always renew to me, I would renew the love of a marketing program, suite of programs, or any marketing program. It would be an annual renewal. Yep. Right. If not six months which means I got to test our love. Yep. Really, truly like, like versus saying my, my, my pathway for the next couple of years is going to be this partner of this software. And I'm going to do, I'm going to see if I can do the most sales I can, the best I can. Like a, you, got, you have a drive for business, go, 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 go get it. But your, your entire unique selling proposition of being that consultant, being that expert in it is not the fact you have a partnership. It's your brain. Yep. It's your opinion. You're a layer and a needed layer, but understand admitting, you know, you're a layer and that layer has to add value. And the value isn't the discount you can get them because you're a preferred partner. Although in the, that moment, it feels like it, if they ask for it, your value is saying, I can get you this, uh, this, I think this suite that you asked for was good, but you know what? There's been some changes in this other one that wasn't as great before that might actually suit your specific needs better if you want to take a look. Now, how do you, so I, I'm 100% on board with that. I 100% agree. And I, a lot of my, I guess, background from that is actually watching my dad, who was a real estate agent in Markham for mm -hmm. 35 plus years. Um, Back in the old days of Markham. Yeah. Well, very yeah. different Markham these days. Yeah. <laughs> much bigger, uh, much used to be Markham and Canada's Wonderland. That was it. Yeah. That was, yeah. Pretty much. That's where I grew up in the 80s. <laughs> it's just farmland and maybe yeah. uh, in a garden basket grocery store. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but I look at it as a real estate agent, and my dad could, like, he could have always tried to sell someone the most expensive house to get the best commission right. back right. on it. But he did it in a way that was like, I want to sell you the best house for you. That's yeah. how he built his name. And 95% of his business over 35 years was referral because of that. He built trust. He built expertise. He built all of that. And I think one of the things when I kind of look back on myself now, kind of selfishly and wanting to kind of do the same thing is it's taken me 17 years in my career to kind of get to the point where I feel like an expert. Do you think it's time that gets you there where like you can have that opinion where it's just like, Hey, this is the thing I think you should buy because of X, yeah. Y, and Z. Or is it just because you know your shit, you can just start spouting it. It's not time to be, um, it's not time. It's trust. It's trust that people trust your opinion. And that's why with, with like with us, with unmarketing, the entire point was positioning people as recognized experts. That's and on purpose, those two recognized expert. So it doesn't mean you are on the national news. It doesn't mean that you walk down the street. People are like, you're the guy that knows about marketing technology. It's not that yeah. it's, uh, it's your, your marketplace. It's a corner of your marketplace. It says, you know what? You know, I really think Scott knows this stuff, right? I really think that, uh, I really think, uh, Mike understands this. And, and so that's when your brain, when I say, what can help me in the situation and your name pops up. That's the point of it. The problem with all these things is none of it's quick. Yeah. Positioning and building relationships. There's no shortcut to that no. stuff. The social allows it's more scalable, which is one of the reasons I loved it. I can talk to so many people outside of my actual field of vision. And I love that part of it. 
but the, the side of stuff, here's the thing about all these things. And it's actually, I think it's one of the first things in the first book, but I really believe this. There's no certificate that comes in the mail that says you are now an expert. No. Right. You are not. And here's, the, there's a very big difference and it's a, it's a very subtle shift, but there's a very big difference in calling yourself an expert and calling yourself the expert. Okay. And one is exclusive, right? And one is inclusive. Yep. And when you say, well, I know the most, that's when we've just lost the plot, I really think. And that expertise is about staying on top of the stuff too, though, and understanding that. So there's not a certificate in the mail. Not Most people aren't like me, which I just deemed myself an expert, right? It's just, that's a personality thing. That's a, that, that's just how I, my, my, my confidence enters the room even before I do on this stuff. And, <laughs> you know, it, it helps being, you know, a straight white, able-bodied male, you know, and all that type of stuff. But I say, I don't, I, I don't really get friction walking into a room, even the way I look now. I look like the sound guy, but I still don't get friction walking <laughs> into the room. We'll talk about the beard and a man bun at the end. Right. <laughs> and you, and, but you look at this thing and it's like, you were never deemed an act because look at it. You, if to be an expert in something, you have to know more than the general group you're trying to be an expert to. But the key in expertise is not knowledge to me. It's not. That's academic. The key in being this world is the application. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's like, it's like the combination between university and college here in, in Canada, right? Which is like college is like the practical hands-on stuff. University is academic. And when you put them, I'm just, and I'm sitting there going, why not both? Like, you know, why can't we do both things here? Because that is the difference that it's not about being an expert in your eyes. It's being an expert in their eyes. Yep. And, and here's the thing is I don't want to get people to get away from that feeling of, am I an expert? Cause that drives you to keep learning and keep going and keep acquiring. I don't want people to end up like me and saying, I've done nine minutes of this. I'm, I'm going to go on stage. You know, it's like, like right now, honestly, Mike, I am so far from actual marketing these days. I don't know what I'm talking about with a lot of it. That's why I don't do marketing talks much now. It's because I'm not in the trenches. I'm not in the ones doing it and looking at the spreadsheets and sitting there going this and this and this. Dude, uh, as transparent as I can be, I could not do marketing in a company today as honest as possible. I could not do it. It is, it is, it's depressing to me and scary. And this is why, okay? Let's hear Back in marketing, back, back in the day, Back in the 1900s. <laughs> Back in the 19, we need a soundtrack of like some seagulls and some other. Back in the 1900s, when we were marketing something, we would create a campaign. Yeah, and depending on where it was in the in the in the cycle, right? Is it awareness? Is it affinity? You know, we just go down the classical marketing thing, and we come up with a campaign. And literally, we did this. We would do things like this and we'd come up and here's the campaign and we plan the execution of the campaign and the media for go for it. And it would go out and we'd get a big burst at the start and we'd have this trickle for a while. And then we'd play the campaign again on TV and advertising, wherever it's going to be. And we have about six and then we, we'd, we'd launch it and we'd start planning for the next one in six months and we'd get together and we'd be creative and we'd talk to people and we'd get the stakeholders and we'd go take care of it all. We'd get the budget. We didn't we do postmortem on the last campaign over the next six months. We'd have the next campaign to be proper. Now we create content, we create a campaign, we analyze, we put it out there. We, we then figure it out, analyze it, overanalyze it, do the postmortem of it, get ready to relaunch the next campaign in 24 hours. I can't imagine being a creative 
and having my work live and die in 24 hours. And then it's literally useless on so many levels. There's a lot of ways yeah. to multi-content and reuse and evergreen, but I can't. It used to, in marketing, it used to be if you had one, maybe two, but usually one hit idea. That's your year. Honestly, you could probably surf that for a year. Yeah. Right. In the, if you're in an agency, it's, it's like, you're just like, what's that? You're just like, I was the guy that did that eight weeks ago. You're like, what's my, my man? And now it's like, I did that eight hours ago. It's like, it's already out of the algorithm. Good example of where that's been the opposite. We to North with the route. Yes. Yes. Huge. Wonderfully huge, but that's a campaign. That's a, that one. Of you, why do you think one of the reasons why Airbnb went to classical marketing versus performance marketing? That's a big case study right now. Past couple months, everybody's like, "See, we told you this. This all this other stuff sucks. It's the class. It's the it's the magazine ads and the TV spots." And no, it's a, one of the things. It's fucking exhausting. <laughs> you create a campaign. A campaign is we measured in months or years, yeah. not days or hours. And so there is complementary things you, you, sure. they do, right? You play off each thing, but it's not. But by the way. The first way to be like Airbnb and go into from performance marketing to brand marketing is to be Airbnb. You got to get there. You have to have, yeah. you have to be at that echelon to be able to say you can do that. And it's not, and I don't, I have no beef with Airbnb saying it or doing it or, or their reasons. The people I have problems with is people like me who are like, well, see, this is why marketing has been shifting now to back to brand. I'm just like, that. none of that, none of that. Airbnb grew because of word of mouth. Airbnb grew because of South by Southwest. Airbnb grew because of Twitter, because of Instagram, because of Facebook. Yep. Right. And then it gets to a point where now it's this, you know, conglomerate. Oh, yeah. You know what conglomerates do? Half ass and okay. Brand advertising. <laughs> that's their thing. Also, that's what they know. And that's what now who the people who run it and own it know. You know why they also got out of it? Because they kind of sucked at it. You know why? Because everybody hates them now. And where would you put you? You tell me, where would you put you? If you had a million dollars, I know they have more than that, but they have a million dollars in marketing and you ran the team, okay? Not not you, but just this hypothetical person. And your only goal here is the least fucking stress possible. Would you put a million dollars into paying influencers to stay at Airbnbs with open comments and replies? And sharing and 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 doing and, and replaying and having it go viral, or would you just pay a bunch of fucking networks a million dollars to run these beautiful ads you film? So it's funny as you start saying that, my my mind immediately went to the influencer side of things, but that is also troublesome. Huge, yeah, really troublesome. Um, Huge. But if I'm doing, but but if I'm at that point in my career where I'm the goddamn VP of marketing for this for Airbnb, one of the things I've learned about the these big companies, the Fortune 50, Fortune 100, pick it, Fortune whatever, pick it. Your job in marketing, a lot of the time, not all the time. There's some brilliant marketers even in the classical old school companies, but overall, your job isn't to make a huge splash. It's to not rock the boat. Your job is to keep the market share at this amount. Your job is to make the numbers look good. And your job isn't to piss too many people off in what you're doing. So then we'll, you know, we'll just put out the Coke Santa bears and, but not cocaine <laughs> bear. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> you know somebody at Coca-Cola came back. One person said, hey, we should do something with cocaine bear. And somebody else is like, not only absolutely oh. fucking not, but also we're going to pull all of our polar bear stuff for a long time until yeah. that thing just dies down. Right. <laughs> I, I really, it really is. I really think we, we lose part of the point of marketing when we, we become more risk, risk averse than we are creative and risk aversion is a big part of marketing that a lot of people do not talk about. No. No, because there's so many channels where you can put your stuff out now and so many people can play around with it and so many people can manipulate it and so many people can take what you think is your message and turn it a potentially a different way. And it just, again, depending on the type of brand that you are, it doesn't happen with every brand. Like if you're in no. like a B2B tech company, like there's probably not, and you're selling hardware, probably not too much, but like lifestyle things, entertainment items, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're opening yourself up a little bit there to a can I said, of work. I said in 08, 09, I said the two departments, the two places that's going to be just lose their mind the most of this new world of social media is going to be HR and PR. Yep. And those are the two groups that <laughs> the bane of their existence, right? PR, I, I bet PR would love it nothing more than for all of them just to shut down. Not, and, and, I mean, I mean, not the platforms, but the, their own employees on said platforms because you can't control the messaging. Yeah. And PR skill and talent is placement and awareness and getting up, but also controlling narrative. What do you think about kind of just thinking about employees talking on behalf of their brand? Like, do you think that's a responsible thing to do? Do you think it is, it's a, just a good way of showing like employee engagement and what you're doing or is yeah. it a kind of false kind of prophecy of like promoting I'm what gonna, they think is I'm going to be as honest as possible with this answer I'm so goddamn tired talking about this at this point people are employees on social are they good for the it, our company is humans right nothing happens without people absolutely we don't, we don't own these people we don't have a right to tell them what to do outside of it. I understand all the fears and all the stuff about social and having this uncontrollable mass of people out there that we can't control what they say. We are so, this is a conversation and not, not for you for bringing it up, but it's just like companies are still talking about this. This is a conversation that we have in 2010 when all these companies were like, you have to put on your bio, all tweets are my own and not a reflection yeah. of my company. Motherfucker, yeah. listen to me. It is a reflection of that person and they're a reflection of your company because our company is the, our assets are our people. And if we don't understand harnessing that, we don't have to have them in official capacity. We don't have just looking at this world and saying, well, should we allow, kiss my ass, allow, you don't allow, what do you mean you allow to present? You have me here. I am an asset to your company and I'm going to be on social if I want to, because yep. you know, it's the world, it's our life yet. It's literally over a decade long conversation of people with this pretend control. All you do is get them to start looking on, on, on indeed for a new job. All we do is because I, I, I asked them and I asked, this is 2010. Somebody's we don't trust our employees to, to use social, you know, with our name, obviously. And I'm like, just give me the first half of that sentence. You don't trust your people. Then it's a bigger issue. This is not about Twitter. This is about somebody there saying, I don't like the fact that this person can have self-expression. 
and be any way as, uh, associated with our company. We have to be professional. Professional is a word that just goes right up the back of my side of my neck here. Yeah. And makes me want to makes me want to just start asking more probing questions because professional is a word that gets rid of a, that covers a lot of stuff, discriminatory stuff, just be, just being a prick stuff, everything else. Like people, I've had people at you know, well, you have to be professional, dude. I saw you in Vegas on the strip puking. Yeah. <laughs> at your conference stop it stop i had somebody come up to me at an event a few months ago in, in, uh, on the west coast and it was for executives so you know c-suite and all this stuff and i do an, this unleadership talk and somebody came up, and it was at a wine it was at a like a, a winery and stuff so they're all half in the bag and the guy comes up to me after talk went great people are lining up to come say hi and the guy just comes up to me he's like you know scott the problem is which you know it's going to be always perfect yeah it's going to be great the problem is, Scott, brr, that you just you just can't say anything anymore. And I looked at him, and I looked at his tag, and I'm like, how so, Brad? <laughs> and I just looked him right in the eye, and I would not break eye contact. And he's like, you know, you know what I mean. It's just everything is just, you know, you got to be, you just can't. And I said, Brad, what can't you say today? that you could say two years ago. Go ahead. I'll quote you. Yeah. And he's like, well, I just, you know, it's just politically correct, but I don't really. I'm like, first of all, did you even listen to a word I said on stage? <laughs> and then I looked at him and I said, you need to turn around and walk away. Good for you. And then he did. And it's probably the first time in that person's life he's been told that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I just don't care if we're not willing to look in the mirror. We shouldn't be willing to look at others and judge them. Yep. I just can't. I can't, including myself, including figuring out where I land on these type of things, including that. Like, if we want this the work to be better or business to be better, then we need to figure out. Like, we're all, always running into jackasses all the time. Sure. I'm just saying. Like in my in all my failed relationships in the past, I'm the only common denominator. And so I got to look at that sometimes, right? And it's, that's about, that's the same thing with all of this. It's the same thing. Even I, I would go into a team of marketers in a company where you have two, three levels of them. You know, you got directors and all this type of all down. I'm just saying, when was the last time you asked the people at the bottom of the food chain, their opinion on what's happening, on what's going on? The, the practitioners are the ones in there. The practitioners, the ones who have a passion for loving it. I want them dictating where I go with my my decisions for the company. I want them to dictate it, but we don't. I'm just on such a ramble here right now. I'm so sorry. No, you know, you mentioned, I, you said this in one of your keynotes too. And I don't remember exactly how you said it, but like culture doesn't start from the top down. It yeah. starts from the bottom up. Culture is driven top down and felt bottom up. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And along those same lines, like if you're looking to want to make things better, yeah, the people who are closest to your product, the people that are closest to your customer, the people that are, on the quote unquote front lines every day doing the actual business. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you want to get their insights? Why wouldn't you want to get their, their help? And the answer, the, the answer is, e the answer is ego. Yeah. I always, Ryan holiday's got a great book. Ego is the enemy. It's a great book about that type of stuff. And it's just like, yeah, you're the one getting in the way. Yeah. I'm very cognizant of our time here. Thank you again so much for joining me today. There's, 
course. Two more things I want to hit on really quickly. One, the man butt and the beard. I love it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> um, you. In a world where, and in a world, especially maybe not necessarily in tech, but like people can sometimes be judged on their appearance when it comes to a professional work environment. Yeah. And I've, I've done the long beard. I've done the long hair and the man bun too. And do you find that that's still a thing in 2023? Like maybe 10 years ago, I remember people like saying, if you have tattoos on your arms, I worked yeah. with Joe Chernoff um, yeah. at Eloqua who had, t- had sleeves yeah. and always kept them covered up until a point. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it doesn't like, I'm, it feels like that's no longer the case anymore. At least yeah, I, I that's the way I'm experiencing it. I feel there's a, certainly a, a shift a bit. But, you know, I think culture can shift, but all people don't, a lot of times people don't always shift where the people who had those opinions, Mm. um, like, you know, when I was young, it was like tattoos are long haul truckers and pirates, you know, like that's, that's what I heard (laughs) bikers and stuff. Right. And, and that was, I I went to school for HR and I was in HR and I remember, so I had long hair too in college and high school, I was a lead singer of a metal band and, you know, you know, Rage Against Machine and everything else. And I went and I, yes, sir. And I got my hair cut the day before my job interview to go out graduating college. And I was Goodwill Toronto, um, their downtown corporate office at Jarvis and Adelaide, which is no longer there. And uh, I got, I cut it off because I'm like, all right, time to get the job. Cut off my hair, went for the interview, got the job. And about eight months in, I talked to my boss. I'm like, Hey, I had long hair the day before. I'm like, would you have hired me? She's like, no. I'm like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, I get it. Okay. And then, but now as we going now tattoos, so it's like the, you know, it's like, what, a, what the right word, the zeitgeist or the, the you know, the, 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 just the, the world in itself. It's like, you can see the tattoos are more prevalent. You can see yep. now it's much different of a thing and it, these things shift. But for me, I just, I've never cared. And that's a privilege. That's a huge privilege that I can be me on stage yep. and off stage and online. And when people look at me and they're like, yeah, but, and they do this kind of wave of like my whole full body. And they're like, but yeah, but you, this brand, I'm like, this isn't a brand. This is me. I forgot, I forgot to shave one summer and the beard came. Um, I just was so lazy. I just didn't cut my hair. Uh, my boots are orthopedically correct for my back. Um, my black shirt on stage is so it doesn't show sweat. Like I'm just, I'm so, if you break it down, I'm so actually uncool. You wouldn't believe it. Like all my stuff. And the tattoos are for me. I could not give a rat's ass if you don't like them. I don't care. But here's the thing. If I was not getting any gigs, if I had to do something else to provide a family, I will shave this head and wear a tuxedo. I don't care. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's a privilege to be able to say, I dress, I look like the sound guy when I go to gigs. I had somebody, one of my first gigs was at the Venetian. I'm actually heading back there a couple weeks to do a gig, but it was like, one of my first ones was a Venetian Vegas and I'm the keynote and it's 3000 people. And, and Lou Holtz is like the day before is the keynote. And I'm just like, what's up? And I walk into the Sands convention center, which is 83 miles from your hotel room at the Venetian. <laughs> and I get there and I walk up and I have just a black shirt on and my jeans and I walk up and the person who I haven't met, who's one of the people from the event looks at me, does a once up and down and says, can you go change into something else? And I'm like, I think I missed the bus that would bring me back to the room. And I'm like, uh, and I, and I look at the stage and the guy before me is like this pre thing he's doing. Cause I'm going on at 8 AM. This audience is 4,000 people in the insurance industry who just had the final four March madness the night before open bar. Cool. They are hungover. 
they are angry and they all have to be there because their bosses are there. This guy on stage is in a full suit and bombing. And I just look up at the stage and I look at her and I look up at the stage and I look at her and I say, I promise you when I'm done, nobody will walk out of here and say that was great, but I wish he wore a tie. And then she just goes, whatever, and walks away. <laughs> I then walk up to the stage when it's my time and I'm walking up the stage and the guy in the suit's walking off the stage and he hands me his microphone thinking I'm the sound guy. And I said, oh, no, no. Um, that's actually not for me. Um, but watch this. And I walked up on stage and you can see everybody going, what is this? I said, hi, everybody. Um, I, I don't work in insurance. I don't even have insurance. And that's your fault. Here's why. And I just went for 45 minutes into this talk, walked off to the only standing ovation of the event. And the person from before standing there, she's like, uh, that, that was really good. <laughs> Can you go change? Wow. Yeah. But here's the thing. That is the only time I've gotten pushback and I've done 530 keynotes. I know people that have been, just been pushed around. And like, I, I have we, a friend of mine we were talking years ago about speaking and I'm trying to get this because I don't get nervous speaking. Um, that's not a skill, but it's just, I'm just missing a synapse in my brain. And like, I just, I've always had the ability just to get up and talk in front. Of, and I, I was very lucky early on to recognize that and be, and had a mom that would support that. And that was huge for me, but I would get, I would talk to people and I want to understand, you know, what they, what they go through on stage. And one friend of mine, he says, look, you don't, I don't think you understand when I walk out on stage and I start talking, the gay comes out. I can't help it. And I can see people whispering to each other or talking or making faces. And I'm like, I never once, not once have stood on stage and asked, do I belong here? And that is a privilege. And I have to recognize that for forever. It's made me a more appreciative speaker and a more appreciative human being is understanding that, that how I do things and go about things isn't how everybody else receives them or gets them. So in a long-winded way, I'm, I, I, my, the bun and the beard, to be honest with you, the only reasons I have it is because I love it and Allison loves it. And those, that's the that's only two that people on the list. That's the that's only it. list. That's it's the it. only people on the list that has to, you know, that I want to look at it. And, and Allison made me love myself with that. You know, she was in cahoots with our, with my hairstylist to get to the bun phase. I know that now, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's this, it's this world of, because you know what, it's just, that's all that matters to me. Good for you. I just stop caring about people's opinions that I wouldn't even see again in my life or ever talk to or deal with. And, but again, huge privilege to be able to do that and say that because I'm also not under the thumb of somebody who's paying me, who's like that. I'm not, I don't have to deal with that stuff. I'm very incredibly fortunate to not only do what I love, but make a living from it. And I, every single, I'm not kidding every day. I, I, I just say to myself, I'm I'm just so thankful. It's and incredible. you're incredible at what you do, man. Like, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I I like again. We're going back into the nineties, <laughs> like just, <laughs> just and to to just a to be able to talk to you like this many years later, and just see how much you're just how much you've been able to grow and go across the world yeah. and do this stuff. It's really cool to see, man. Uh, so kudos Thanks, man. to you for all that. That's now, as I was saying before we went live here, man, I, I, when you reached out to do the show, you're, 
you're OG to me, man. We're back in the day. And that was a testament. And I, I know I said it before we recorded, but I really want people to hear it is that you building relationships, it, it, it takes time. But if you believe business is built on relationships, make building them your business. It's one of my favorite lines because I yeah. believe it 100%. So when you reached out, I'm just like, obviously, yeah. And before that, I looked at three other things that people said. I don't know them. It's all just carbon copy bullshit that they yeah. send. Every day I get requests for people to come on the on podcast as a guest. And it hasn't been on in three years. And we never have guests. <laughs> when I get a, a thing like yours, it's refreshing. And oh, so that, well, it's my pleasure. That. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last question. You're a yeah. music guy. I'm a music yeah. guy. We talked a little bit before we started recording, but early. Yeah. I've actually, so I would talk about Jeremy Taggart. Yeah. I've been working with Jeremy and Jonathan on the Taggart and Torn podcast since it started. I built their website, did all their social for them. Got the front door. Um, and so that's how I know Jer. And that's how I know Jono. Jer, this was probably about five or six years ago when we still lived downtown. Uh, my daughter's school was doing a fundraiser. And Jer and Jonathan were, were gracious enough to donate a whole bunch of Taggart and Torn's merch, their book, hoodies, <laughs> like all like so just great. awesome. And as just Jer was cleaning out some stuff and I was at his house, he gave me tickets to the very first Our Lady Peace show at Where Lee's was Palace. It? Lee's mother. <laughs> Wait. One sec. <laughs> I think it was the first one. Just found this. this is a photo of the band I managed playing at Lee's Palace right here. I have the tickets somewhere. These are. Oh, I found it. I found it. I found it. Found it found. Here, here. Look, I just. So Lee's. Lee's. Lee's Palace. Look, look, I got Lee's Palace. Look at Yeah, yeah, Lee's Palace. Yes, sir. Look at that. Oh my God. That's Lee's Palace stuff. Oh, you know, can, can I say about, so um, I don't know, um, Jeremy, um, I love him. So I didn't tell you that my brother was Our Lady Peace's road manager. No way. One of their tours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he took the bus with the, with the band and then rain flew everywhere, you know, and, um, <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. He was the tour. So my brother did uh, Our Lady Peace, uh, Sass Jordan um philosopher kings uh nelly furtado and, oh. yeah so yeah so why i was in music because he was in music dude and my 90s our, canadian heart is like so happy right now dude and now and now our kids are too old as are going into music aiden works at dine alone records the lexus on fire and city and colors label at the label like he works he's the he's cooler than i am jeez yeah yeah and that's so that's like so cool so anyway so i don't know jerry but jonathan i connect with on linkedin yeah and i had asked him Cause I don't, I don't, we just connect on LinkedIn. And I just like, I just kept seeing him. He's just so human on there and wonderful. And, and he's no different. He's the most genuine person I think I've ever met in my life. And I connected just cause I thought it would be cool to connect with John O'Vision and, 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 you know, trailer park boys and, and, yeah. and, and, and know what I'm saying. And, and I'm just like, this is, I just love, especially Canadian, you know, it's just like, it's so cool. And then I just start, because I connected with him, I just started seeing his stuff and he's just always helping people. Yep. And I'm just like, damn. And I, even once I wrote because our, our, our daughter Tess, um, was looking at some acting stuff, but also me being involved with entertainment and all stuff. I'm just so wary of so much of the industry. I just reached out and said, Hey, you know, what do you think about the industry, but this, and he just sent back this multi-paragraph thing to help with no condition and no, and I'm just like, damn, you're right. People, 
I adore him and I've never met him in person. And I just like anything he puts out there trying to help us up. I'm, I will, I will amplify. I will share as well because He's wonderful. Jerry's the exact same way. Like they yeah. give you your, their shirt off their back. Um, it wasn't Jeremy like 17 or something on that tour or 18. Like he was, yeah, young. I think he was 17 or 18 when the beat came out. Yeah. 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 Well, now, now I'm going to listen to those albums the rest of the yeah. <laughs> So speaking of listening to, what are you listening to these days? Ooh. So the great thing about music and, you know, it's just like you can bond on that. And one of the things that really Allison taught me too was like letting the kids kind of control the the aux cord, you know, letting yep. them control yep. the music in the car. And so like, I haven't picked a, a song in the car in 22 years. And um, um, it's like, I throw the kids out and drive my own so I can put in Primus or something. And uh, so now, so almost every night now, like Owen's home from school right now, came back from university. And so like almost each night, we just kind of go back and forth saying, hey, I heard something you might like here. I heard something like here. We go back and forth. And now I'm, I'm on our 80s run with him. So I just did, I just showed him uh, Peter Gabriel and he was rocking the hell out of Sledgehammer. Nice. Um, and then I put on In Your Eyes and I started talking about the oh. Benny and June soundtrack, right? Oh. And like everything else. And, and so it's just like, I can't tell you as a, as a father, who has and like Owen's 21 now it's such a trip when they become this age of adults and you just can go and then he's showing me bands so he's keeping me current on things today yep and I'm pulling them back he he can't not he cannot listen enough to Hall and Oates he freaking loves them he's just and I just keep going through the songs I'm like what and all so our rule for each other is one verse one course if it's not your thing you can bail but just yep. give it a verse and a chorus Right. And then we're allowed to say, yeah, not mine, not for me. And then I'll get angry. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not for you. It's a great song or whatever, but you can't because it's subjective. So now it's like, I love listening to it's a, a Freya writings out of Scotland. She's got one of the most angelic voices I've ever heard. The acoustic version of castles and, and lost without you are two songs. Mm -hmm. You can just set me off into a universe. Um, Emily Sande has a song called clown, which melts me. Um, and then like even newer stuff it's just going through the amount i watch you know i do i watch youtube all day me i right? watch it's, it all night <laughs> yeah it's my it's it's my visual encyclopedia when i was like eight years old i would sit in the basement and read encyclopedias like because because it's like all these facts about all these things yep and then youtube is that for me now and one of the things is that introduction to music so we try to look for these uh you know the, our favorite voices we love the gritty kind of like really stretching like a, like dave grohl sings right yeah. it's like he's yep. at the edge of where he can go with it and so we have been um, listening to um, a couple of artists and uh, I, I'm not getting off this thing until I get the name because I've been enjoying <laughs> it greatly and watching their stuff. But oh, one, and the one thing we always listen to is too, is um, uh, the band Blue October, which is uh, from, they're from Texas. It's a song called Hate Me. And it's okay. one of the best male vocals um, I have ever. Um, I just love the growl of him. And then one second, I'm going to get the history here. I'll find him. It's like, he's got a song. And I don't do a lot of country and it's, uh, it's got nose on the grindstone is a song he's doing. I'll find him. I know this is riveting podcast stuff, right? No, now, this is me just <laughs> <laughs> talking in general there, but I go through the whole history. So I brought him down. We, we did uh, finger 11 <gasps> did some, last night. We did Lincoln park, did some disturbed. Then there's sledgehammer. Um, Zeppelin, like, is so I can just see all the list here that I get to run. And then he's got me, he's got me some, uh, uh Travis Scott. He was showing me, I put on both corrosion of conformity and monster magnet just to mess everything up for everybody. Yeah, just throw a wrench in there. And obviously, obviously <laughs> tool, um, a tool was there. And then we did a whole stone temple pilots run and I showed him like three different songs. He didn't realize it was Scott Wayland every single time. 
because he looks so different between looks you know, so different. I am, I am, I am. Right? Yeah, like 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 sex type thing to like yep. plush. It's yep. so. Uh, um, I just want to get this one guy's name. It's going to do a disservice if I don't. Um, it's funny you talked about Finger Eleven. I've been on a a Finger Eleven was like my favorite band in the mid nineties. Like ninety seven seven Rock Search winners. Yep. Yeah, Rainbow Butt Monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> as far as I can spare. I had baby. it on tape. I had Oscar. that album on tape from Chutney. Come on, baby. Yes, <laughs> you know. I saw them at the free concert band show at the CNE, and they played that to to like me and eighteen other people. It was I, so great. The first time I saw them was actually when I was at I went to Hubbard College, and they played our Frost Week. And I was friends with the president of the student association. So I got nice. to sit on stage and watch it. And I was just like 13 year old me was just in heaven oh. and they were oh. so good. So I, good. I got handed their demo um, at Molson park at Lollapalooza and they were giving out three song demos. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was I Mother Earth. I flipped it. I'm sorry. That was I Mother Earth with the demo because oh, I put wow. it in. Still. Same, but same idea, right? Just crazy. You've never, and I just put it in like my mom's Pontiac Sunbird and I put it in and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, back in the day, that's that was music discovery. Somebody handed yeah. you a tape or did this yeah. or burned, burned something for you. And I'm like, so it was like I Mother Earth, Our, um, uh, uh, Our Lady Peace, obviously back but the, even earlier on was... Um, uh, Rainbow Butt Monkeys, Finger Eleven. Yep, yep. So it's like, oh my God, it's all these. And then they came out as Finger Eleven. And you're like, y'all look different now. And you just yeah. like had the whole change of look and that because they signed with the American label. Why not? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, um, something Nickelback had farting to do with that too or something. Evanescence. Evanescence. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you know it's a funny shit. story. I got in trouble from Wind Up. So really? I built a fan site for Finger Eleven when their third album came out that, with the song Good Times and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a, I, and this was the Napster era too. Yeah. So I think I downloaded Good Times as an MP3 and put it up on the site just to stream it, not to download Oof. it. <laughs> and Windup came back and they emailed me and were like, thank you. Like, we love the site. Like, thank you for building a fan site. That's awesome. You got to take the music down. Like, just don't touch it with the music, but do like everything else with the site. If there's anything we can help you with, let us know. And that was pretty cool. But that's a cool move, though. Like there's a, because like back then too, like mp3.com and farm club and all this stuff started coming out because um, and this that panic, right? Like there's always that footage of people playing. That was the new it was like the Madonna album or something like that. And they download it. You just like, look, one of the examples we use is a great idea. It was kind of like that, which was a band used a like the Jim Bean whiskey kind of thing as their, their label, as their CD cover. I know, I know it's in one of the books and um, since it's copyrighted or trademarked, it, you have to enforce the trademark. Yep. And they said, look, we, 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 we do love that you love us so much that you made your CD as our label. Like we do love it. Um, but we have to enforce the tra trademark as part of having a trademark. Um, so, let us know how many CDs you still have and we'll pay for a run of new CDs. And here's a bunch of merch. It cost Jim Beam nothing. It was like 1500 bucks. Sure. But that's... that good, good, the goodwill it made, right? And that's a, that's yep. a lesson for everybody listening right now, just in marketing in general. Absolutely. Which ways can I do this? And especially back then, 
you know, an MP3 and being on a site, you just like, you just call the feds. Like it just it was such a crazy, oh my God. Like I felt like a criminal. Like yeah. when I'm on, I was on like Emule or LimeWire and I'm pulling something down. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to federal prison. This is amazing. <laughs> right. And I would, it would take me 46 minutes to download like back in black. And then I would get it and it would be some moron that just changed the file name. And it wasn't that, but it was some terrible song they Lime made. LimeWire was horrible for that. Napster, not as bad. Napster, no, Napster you had decent. to like do like the spelling backwards of a song name sometimes to find it and shit like that. But Or you just go to the torrent and you just have all the cedars and leechers and do that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Gotta well, do what now, you gotta do sometimes. We got Spotify and Apple Music and all that fun stuff. But we said <laughs> back then, hey, if you made this legal, I'm in. Yeah. At a reasonable price. Absolutely. Sure. And Absolutely. That's, you know, the same thing, but it's like Netflix right now. That it's like now more money, please. More. Yes, please. Scott, man. Thank you. That was so fun. Thank you, man. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, folks who are listening to this podcast, I'm sure know who you are, but how can people find you? Where do you want people to find you? Ah, it's on marketing. Put it in. You'll find me. Um, all right it's, it's the most power move i can do but, uh, <laughs> yeah man we got we're excited we're we just signed the deal uh for book seven for unleadership yes. so that'll be out uh january um most likely depends on when allison is gonna write it she writes the stuff i i rant the stuff on stage and um i'm telling you to close this off this is the best line i can give you i have the best social media roi of all time because of because i got allison I have my wife Kim who does social for, for 3MG. So her did you and also I, out, did you outkick your coverage? Like I am way above. Like I am so she's so above my league. It's oh so my god, wonderful. I can't like. <laughs> I, I, so when I started 3MG two years ago, I didn't like. I just I used LinkedIn. That was it. I like yeah. I was off Facebook, off Instagram, and all that. And Kim joined me in September full time. So her like this is ours now. This we're all yeah. the eggs in one basket. Yeah. And she does social media for her own customers as well, but she's doing it for 3MG. And I see what she's doing. Just, uh, there's no yeah. way I could do it. So very fortunate, man. <laughs> as long as they don't find out that 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 they're so above us, we're good. Yeah. Just, <laughs> keep it on the down low. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just happy and I ain't letting it go. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, man. man. Very cool. Well, Scott, thanks so much, man. And uh, my pleasure. We'll be in touch soon. As I said earlier, to be transparent, I have been struggling to think about how to enter this episode. Not sorry, not enter this episode, exit this episode. Normally I'd be like, thank you so much to Scott for joining that. Just, I can't, there needs to be, uh, I need something different to acknowledge the importance of this conversation to me. And to this podcast by having someone like Scott on and Scott's a genuinely great, nice guy. We've never met. We've never met IRL. Is that, is that what the folks say these days? But like we talked about on the episode, we've, we've kind of been in each other's network for the better part of a decade. 
and to watch his success from when I started following him back in I like 2008, I think it was around the Twitter ages to where he is now. It's phenomenal. And that he would take time out of his day and even, even want to do something like this podcast is very humbling. So Scott, thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really cool. And just really, really cool to sit down and have a conversation with you. And I hope we get to do it again. Cause that was really, really, really fun for me. Let's chat a little bit about the music this week. So we got a little heavier. Remember I've, I've been sprinkling each episode that there's an opportunity for us to get a little bit more interesting with the music and this, this I, I felt fit very well because as Scott mentioned, when we were talking about music in the episode, one of his sons works for Donald and records, which is the record label for the band Alexis on fire or city in color, Dallas green. And I love Alexis on fire. One of my favorite bands of all time. The only band ever.com is their actual website. And I thought it was appropriate to play a little bit of Alexis today because I love Alexis. I am going to assume that Scott has some sort of affinity to Alexis on fire. Maybe not. And even if, if he doesn't, that's cool. Let's play a little Alexis on fire. We start the episode with probably their most infamous song called accidents off their second album called watch out. Got to be careful there called watch out. It's the first song on the album and it kicks your ass as soon as it starts going. That's why I let it play a little bit. I I, I kind of let it run a little bit longer than I let other songs run because you got to feel the essence of Alexis on fire. It's fast. It's hard. It's melodic. Beautiful. It's everything. Love Alexis on fire. So we start off with accidents. Coming out of the episode, we are ending with a song called Born and Raised off the album Old Crow's Young Cardinals. I think that's what it's called. We're going to do a quick live check right here up on the the Spotify's. This is real life. This is real life, folks. Old Crow's Young Cardinals, your boy was right. Released in 2009 and Born and Raised was one of my favorite songs off that album. So I thought it would be appropriate to play because I like Alexis on fire and I like that song and both Scott and I being Canadians and being from the GTA to greater Toronto area, the six, 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 six. I thought it would be nice to play a song called born and raised because we're, we're kind of from around this area and this is where we live and this is where we have our families and Alexis on fire. Maybe that maybe that commonality I should have explicitly have asked Scott if he was a Lex Sunfire fan. I'm I've made an assumption, maybe an incorrect assumption, but we'll see what he says. Maybe he'll acknowledge this and confirm to everyone that hey, I too am an Alexis on Fire fan. That would be cool. Let's talk about the socials. Let's end with the socials. I talked a little bit about the beginning. Like we're going to let's rant this week. I don't, I I don't even know if I have the energy to rant this week. 
do I? It, uh, no, you know what? I think I'll I'll say one thing. In talking with a lot of folks, it sounded like March was a pretty hard month for pe- for people. Um, be it that it's the end of the quarter for a lot of folks, the the winter blues just kind of continuing to extend with the gray skies and the blah blah blah. I think a lot of folks are looking forward to the spring. I know today, this is Saturday, April 1st that I'm recording this. This is actually the day after I interviewed or chatted with Scott. And we had a beautiful fucking day today where the whole my whole family was outside all morning while it was sunny. It was beautiful. I had shorts on. My daughter and I cleaned the car. My wife and I, Kim, we could just sit on the driveway and chat with each other. And I could, I broke boxes apart. It was beautiful. It was awesome. And I say all this when you, when you have some good days, the shit that you thought you wanted to bring up, the shit that you wanted, that you wanted to maybe talk about a little bit doesn't really mean as much as it did before. So, Feel very thankful for a great day, for a beautiful day here to be able to hang out with my family outside and with the dog and had an awesome meal. Just yeah, when you have good days, we don't need to look back and shit on things here and there. We will shit on things. Don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry. But today we're not going to do that. Like I mentioned earlier, let's. Let's end with the show. The socials here. You can find us at 3mg.ca on Instagram. 3mg.ca is our website. That's when you can learn about all the services that both Kim and I provide. Did you know that Kim helps small and medium businesses with their website and their social media presence? Did you know? If you didn't know and you want to know more, Give us a knock. Give us a knock. Visit us, 3mg.ca. Email me, mike at mikemcfarland.ca. We're on TikTok. I'm on LinkedIn. That is a very main one. Mike McFarland one. Just search Mike McFarland, the guy with the, the ho, ho, ho. Not Sorry, not Green Giant. The Bouncy Man. The plaid. The red plaid. The big red beard. That's Mike McFarlane. Or you can follow Mike McFarlane Marketing Group, 3MG, on LinkedIn as well. We're not everywhere, but we're somewhere. And today, we're in your ear holes. And tomorrow, it's a new day. It's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be a great day, friends. It's going to be a great day, buds. Thanks for listening this week. Thank you, Scott, for joining me this week. We got more fun coming up, folks. Thanks for jumping in. Thanks for subscribing if you have. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.